1: Good
2: evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. These are your hosts, Alex Rowell and Dylan Terriman. Dylan, how are we doing tonight, buddy?
1: I'm doing well. I was not able to join you for the last podcast. I was, I was, We had some scheduling issues. I knew it was a little holiday, but uh, you killed it with Emory. I'm so glad that he was able to come on. You, you able, you even snuck in some of my questions, which I was happy about, and. Uh, we got some confirmation that he'll come back for another episode, so I think all's good, and uh, we have some more guests lined up, including today, so I'm excited to get into this one.
2: Yes, absolutely. That was a lot of fun last week, uh, the fact that every hunt from the football game plan was able to join uh, us at Jet Nation and give his insight about you know what he feels with the Jets team has got going on, and as you just mentioned, uh, we do have a guest joining us tonight, our very own Green Bean. Uh, if you haven't seen his content, you have to look up Green Bean. Uh, he's, you know, doing a lot of stuff on YouTube, uh, on his Instagram page. Uh, he's collaborating with other YouTubers and, you know, going on, doing live video shows with uh, like guys like Matt O'Leary and uh, just a bunch of other, uh, you know, Jets heads out there. There's so much content going around. So, you know, it's really, really great that we have people like green Bean a part of our team that, you know, can broaden, you know, our jets takes and and all of our thoughts and, you know, we live, breathe and sleep about this team. And, you know, I'm always get excited to, to have green bean join us. So he'll probably be joining us in the next 10 to 15 minutes, uh, And tonight we're just going to, you know, go over a a few things. I'm going to pick his brain. I know, uh, you know, we each have some topics lined up for tonight. We're going to go into uh, some strengths and weaknesses. That's tonight's uh, uh, name of uh, the show. So we're going to get into what we feel are the strong points of this roster. And then we're going to, you know, shine a little bit of light and, you know, not try to criticize the team, but try to work through where our weak spots are and see what the Jets can do to improve those areas before we get to September and the games start to count. Uh, but before I get too far ahead of myself here, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Miles Social, for all their support that they do for Jet Nation. Uh, if you're a business owner and you're looking to improve your company's social media status, go to Mile Social and see what they can do for your company today. Now, Dylan... Uh, This is the time of the year where there's really, really not a lot of crazy stories going around. We've gotten through the free agent frenzy. We've gotten through the draft. We've signed, I think, all of our rookies, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is really, really great because in years past, we've always had one or two guys that seem to wait until, you know, August and some some players have actually missed a couple days. So I think we're in pretty good standards as far as getting our guys to, to sign their deals. And we're going through voluntary practices at this point. And, uh, you know, some players are attending. Some players aren't. Uh, congratulations to Makai Becton. Uh, he just had his child just recently, and that was one of the reasons mm-hmm. why he hasn't been present. So congrats to him on becoming a new dad. I know the team is looking forward to having the big guy uh, back in action and and in the building at Florham Park. So, basically, uh, what we're going to start the show tonight is we want to touch upon some of the press conferences that have gone down over the last week or so. Um, Each of our coaches have taken some time to just answer some questions from the guys at the beat and give a little bit of perspective on, you know, what they're trying to do, uh, what direction they're trying to take this team into this season. And, uh, Dylan, you had some great notes written up about that. So uh, why don't you share some of your thoughts uh, from the recent press conferences that the Jets have had?
1: Yeah, so within the last week or so, we were able to get press conferences from Robert Sala and both coordinators, Michael Fleur and Jeff Ulbrich. So I just took down some quick notes from each of them, I thought a lot of them, a lot of the points that they made were good. A lot of good questions were asked, especially with the Michael Fleur one. So, I'll start with the Rob Stahl one. He explained how OTA reps were split. Um, there's ten reps. <clears throat> excuse me. I believe they're individual reps, and they're split up five, three, two for the quarterbacks. Meaning Zach Wilson would get five, uh, Joe Flacco, I guess, as QB two would get three, and then Mike White would get two. And then the positional coaches then work within those 10 reps to get their players' reps. So for Zach Wilson's five reps, you might have hypothetically your top three guys, Moore, Davis, Wilson, and then a variation of maybe some Braxton and Denzel mixed in with that as well. So it, it was good to see how exactly they're split up to see just how much time everybody's getting. I personally thought QB1 was getting more than five out of 10 reps. So it is kind of cool to see how exactly they split it up, but it's it's also cool to see that the position coaches have to work within that to get their best, like, amount of reps for each position. So it's obviously just all a puzzle that they have to put together for practice, and it was just good to shine that light on that, that Robert Stahl was able to, like, you know, let us see into how exactly they do it. The next part they had uh, was a rookie injury update. Jeremy Rucker, he's still rehabbing his foot injury. Salas said he's on the sidelines with the strength and conditioning coaches. So at least he's out there. Um, He's not doing anything other than conditioning on the sidelines. So hopefully we'll see him sooner rather than later. But, again, it's a rookie, so they're not going to rush to get him back. Uh, This isn't from his presser exactly, but it goes into the next point. Uh, DJ Reed had a press conference where he was asked about playing slot cornerback And he said he's been primarily playing right-side cornerback, and they have not talked at all about playing in the slot. Maybe there's some word out there on Twitter or something from the beat writers that he could play in the slot with Bryce on the outside, but I don't think so. But that leads into my next one where Bryce Hall is taking cornerback one refs at OTAs, and that Sauce Gardner quote has to earn it. Uh, That's what Sala said. So, obviously – probably a lot of coach speak considering he was the fourth overall pick glenn alluded to this on his uh youtube uh his his most recent youtube video um and i i think it's just it's kind of bs you know coach speak that sauce is not going to be a starter day one i think when when it gets down to you know preseason and you know the beginning of the season obviously sauce gardner is going to be out there whether he's opposite bryce hall or dj reed my money's on dj reed obviously but sauce is going to be out there, so um, Eccles, another cornerback, he's dealing with a shoulder injury. Sauce said he's bigger than last year, though, as far as his size from a physical standpoint, so he's excited to get him in and compete. I think that's why Bryce Hall has been able to get so many reps, which, good for Bryce Hall, because in my opinion, I think he needs the most reps out of the four of the guys that I mentioned, so it's good that at least, you know, Eccles is on the upswing with his medical and that Bryce is able to come in and take those reps. Uh, tweaking the system around Sauce, I don't... He said he, he they play more man than people realize, but Sauce can also play zone, uh, which is obvious. I think if you're a cornerback in today's NFL and you're not... or in today's even college game, hoping to get to the next level, I think you need to be able to play both. Obviously, there's some that are more lenient to one, and obviously Sauce is more man than zone, but you could put on his film and he's putting, he's playing zone. You can see it with his butt to the sidelines. So uh, he also said they're not going to put him in a position where he won't succeed. I think that's obviously it's coach speak, but it's it's good coach speak because it's not something that we're accustomed to hearing, especially with like Adam Gase. I hate even bringing him up because we're so far past him, but like you never once heard him say like, we're going to put the players in the best position to win a football game for us. It was always just like, no, we're going to do what we do. And, if we, if we can't do it, we're just going to still try to do it. And that meant Frank Gore on third and eighth. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, this is probably the best quote that he put uh, out from his press conference, and that was about Rob Calabrese, the quarterback coach currently. Um, he said that he was courted by other teams for other jobs and even coordinator opportunities, and that Calabrese elected uh, to stay with New York. And I think that's huge. One, because – He's a young guy, and there's um, not too many young guys that the Jets have had in their coaching staff that have that path, so to speak, where they could be an offensive coordinator and then potentially a head coach, like, you know, down the line. And I think Calabrese is one of those good in-house coaches where if Mike LaFleur were to succeed in years two, three, four with the Jets and move on to a head coaching position, which Most Jets fans ultimately, I guess, would hope would happen because that means their offense is really good. So Rob Calabrese is that guy, and I'm glad that he saw something in the Jets enough to stay over a potential promotion. So that was huge. And then we wouldn't be be true to ourselves if we didn't have a Denzel Mims update in the middle of June. Uh, He looks good. He's in the second year of the system they're working on his catch point work with contested catches. That was the one thing that Salas said, and he said, as well as grasping the offense. So he kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit with Mims, in my opinion, saying that Mims needed to get stronger at the catch point and really go up and use his frame and his body to make those contested catches like we saw because last year we were not good in that area. Corey Davis probably was our leading guy, and I don't think he had more than seven contested catches, so ultimately, Denzel Mims needs to show it, but they think that he's uh, going to be a lot better this year. So that was all I had from Sala. Um, Mike LaFleur was the next one that I watched, and the main thing I had was um, just a question that uh, I believe DJ Enemy asked, and he's always asking the best questions in the press conferences. I usually steal the quotes that the coaches give because his questions usually get the most, like, film-type talk out of it, and that's usually where what I go for in the press conferences. But Mike LaFleur basically said that the offense doesn't always read safety shell, meaning they don't always determine, hey, if there's two high safeties and one rotates down to a, a one high shell, we're going to do this, or vice versa, one to two high. They're not going to always – look at the safeties and determine what happens from there. He said a lot of times they just have a play where the, the quarterback has to just look in the exact same spot every time, and that's all he has to do. So basically the quote came back um, as far as past game concepts, not reading the defense. He said you have quick game, quick hitting dropbacks, which they call completion plays,
0: intermediate
1: game, which is seven-step drops and double chips on each side from the protection so that your offensive line holds up because it is a longer drop back. Then you have your turn, your back pass uh, play pass game, your play action game. He said hypothetically you have 60 plays, 10 in each category, and only, you know, seven of those 10 are run the exact same way by the quarterback. So the defense doesn't exactly know what the play is, but the The offense also doesn't need to be dictated by the defense. They just go, boom. If one's not there, you go to two. Nope, two's not there. You go to a check down. You don't always have to say, okay, well, those two safeties drop back. LeFleur put it simply, if we're not throwing past 10 yards, why do we care what the safeties are doing? He said, you don't. Just go through your pure progression. That's all it is, pure progression, one to two, to check down or run. And he even said, Zach Wilson could do more of the running element to it because of his, you know, physical, I guess, uh, upgrade to himself. He added about 15 pounds. So there is that running element where he's not going to take the shots. So I thought that was good that he really got into it and, you know, showed that the offense doesn't necessarily say, hey, on this play, or every single time you get up to the line of scrimmage, you need to look at what the two safeties are doing. No, it's, we're just going to, run our offense if they're in zone, usually, you know, we have good zone plays like little stop routes by the tight end. And those are the little things that Zach Wilson needed to get better at. So the fact that we were able to hear a little bit more detail about that was awesome. And then the last one was Jeff Ulbrich. Um I think a lot of people at this point have heard the quote. Uh, it was about the defensive line rotation. Uh, I'll pull the exact quote and then I'll give my my paraphrasing. He said, this defensive line, this style in which we play, this attacks front, it's best when you're playing 30 to 35 snaps a game. We didn't have that luxury last year because of the depth that we didn't have. So the fact that we have some more depth now, you can get back to the essence of the front. So last year it was the same thing. Um, halfway through the year, somebody was asking about defensive line rotation and why X player wasn't getting enough reps. I believe it was Quinn Williams. And Rob Sala basically said <clears throat> excuse me, Rob Sala basically said that forty reps per game was the the max for a defensive lineman.
0: If he's running more than
1: 40, 40 reps a game, he's either not running hard enough to match that attack front style where they want you to get winded if you're running forty snaps, or you're just not good enough to truly do what they want in the system so you're able to be out there more. So basically what it came down to is 40 was the ceiling. Now we're walking it back to 30 to 35 snaps per game. Truthfully, anybody that watches Quentin Williams knows that he deserves more than 30 to 35 snaps per game. Jonathan Franklin Myers deserves more than 30 to 35 snaps per game. So mm-hmm. I did a little bit of digging. I posted it on Twitter the number of times that, a player went over 40 reps last year in one single game. And it was close to 20. I don't have the exact number. I can count it up when when I'm done. But I think it was like 18, 19, or 20 times that a defensive lineman ran more than 40 snaps. So in a perfect world, yes, 30 to 35 snaps keep everybody healthy, similar to what they want to do with the running backs, you know, a rotation. It's not going to end up being like that. Health always dictates – That you're going to use your best players when you need them when they're healthy. If Quinton Williams is available for 17 games and he's playing 30 to 35 snaps a game, I'm sorry, I don't even care about the contract. That's just misuse of your assets. He was a third overall pick who's still ascending. He's still young. He deserves to be out there 65% of the plays, not 30 to you know 40 to 45% of the plays. Last year he played 53% of the snaps, so. That number already needs to go up, and they, they want to trim it back. So, to me, I don't buy it. I hope they play more. I know it's an attack-style defense, but you got to play your best players at the end of the day. So, to me, the, the, the statement, while it, it does, you know, bring about a lot of discussion, I think when we get into it, there's going to be a lot more than, you know, 30 to 35 snaps for Quinn and Williams in the game.
2: Yeah, it's uh, quite interesting when you hear those numbers. It it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's probably more than, you know, what we anticipate uh, on a Sunday. And uh, I completely agree when you're talking about players like, you know, John Franklin Myers or Quentin Williams or, you know, Carl Lawson. Um, I really don't care what their snap count is uh, in critical points in the game. If we need – you know, a QB hit or a sack or pressure. We need to just get the football back to our offense. I want the best players on the field regardless of, uh, you know, their their snap count. So, uh, definitely some interesting stuff, some great notes you have there. Uh, Dylan, I'm glad we got time to squeeze that in before the man of the hour comes to join us, and I believe he is waiting in the uh, studio right now as we speak, so let's get Mr. Greenbean on the radio. Greenbean, is this you, buddy? Hey.
0: How you guys doing? What's happening? Yeah, I was uh, I almost forgot to call in. I was just listening to Dylan. <laughs> I could have listened for another hour. <laughs> I don't know if I could have talked yeah, for another
1: hour I needed a big drink after that one
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm right I bet I bet you were you were killing it though man that was interesting stuff you know I got a lot to listen to there
2: I appreciate yeah, it Yeah, Dylan always comes well prepared with the notes and um, definitely love uh, his insight all the time uh, but Greenbean thank you That's so cool. much for joining us it's been a long time man I hope all is well with you and the family and um Always enjoy talking about Jets football with you. So we had to get you back onto the pod so that uh, our listeners could get another taste of your greatness. But uh, before we get into <laughs> Jets ball, I have a quick question for you, a little something off topic here. Um, the last time that we were all together here, uh, I was curious about your roller coaster tour. And I got to know, are you still – uh, traveling the the country and going to different roller coasters, and if so, what in the world is your count on how many roller coasters you've been on?
0: Yeah, well, I I have to I have to tell you, I'm sad to announce that about a month and a half ago, two months now, we ended the tour. So we did oh, wow. two, a little over I know a little over two years on the road, living in an RV. Uh you know what you know what was the main catalyst my son wants to play high school ball and we couldn't do it um you know out there on the road but so it was that and some other things and we we made it to a little over I think it was 260 coasters in the past 2 wow. years and you know what what threw a yeah what what threw a kink in that was the fact that we left as soon as we left covid started so everything shut down and we lost like 6 months there but, um, yeah, we still made it on 260, so we're about to buy a house, Alex. Uh, you know, we're, I'm about to get, like, literally, officially off the road back into a house and uh, wow. let, let my son experience high school football.
2: That's incredible, man. Congratulations on uh, making the change there. And holy smokes, sure. man. Yeah, thank I'll you. tell you this right now, 260. That's about 258 more than I've been on my life. Um, <laughs> I've had two in my experience. Um, I believe I was at Great Adventure in, uh, as an early teenager. And um, I think I experienced one of my first panic attacks as a young man, as my heart was coming through my chest for the Batman ride. And I learned a lot about myself that day. And uh, I think that's yeah. why I'm so intrigued you about your situation. Because um, you sound like you're pretty fearless to me, having done that. 260 darn times, and um, that is yeah. definitely pretty well, cool.
0: I'm definitely not fearless. I'm afraid every time. I, I, I got to be honest. I, <laughs> I do love it, but um, when I'm going up the hill, Alex, every time I think to myself, why do I do this? That's literally what I think, every lift hill. So uh, I can relate <laughs> to that. Uh, and I'm getting older man i actually uh I almost passed out on one uh this past year a oh, three hundred footer uh Jeez. up in ohio yeah i did some I did something called a gray out, which is when you almost passed out because of the intensity of the coaster app, but it was my first, and I thought, ooh, wow, okay, all right, I ooh. might be getting old here, guys. I don't know what happened, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that uh, gray app. That's the first time I've heard that phrase. Wow. That's a uh, pretty intense there. Um, that might've been yeah. a game changer for me entirely. Um, uh, but that is definitely right. very, very cool. Well, now. uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's, let let's pivot here because when, when you mentioned that, why am I doing this again? It almost sounds <laughs> like, uh, when I get myself hyped up for this New York team, And then, you know, the real game starts hitting. Why do I do this to myself every year? But um, we have some good Mm -hmm. news to share tonight. And um, I want to start off the show uh, or our roundtable discussion uh, talking about some three players of our past. And the Jets recently announced that there are going to be three new inductees for the Ring of Honor. And uh, some great Jets right here. And we'll start off with the infamous uh, Darrell Rivas. Uh, Nick Mangold and the Ferguson and uh, you know, three iconic players that I'm very, very happy to say that I got to see um, as a young man and just watch the progression of, of them do some pretty sensational things. Uh, they were on the team that had the most success that I've physically seen. And uh, Darrell Revis to this day, is still one of my favorite players all time on, on the Jets roster. And, uh, Uh, I have to say here, I'm a little shocked that that they haven't gone in sooner, but maybe there's a time period that they have to be off the team for this stuff to happen. So Green Bean, I know that you have a little something to add to this too. So Dylan, if you want to go and share your thoughts on, on the uh, ring of honor inductees, and then uh, you can go into your segment, Green Bean. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I I believe I've talked about it on this podcast. I was talking with you, Alex, before we went live, that I've told the story about watching the 2006 draft from my friend's treehouse and just completely confused why the Jets took two offensive linemen in the first round. And, you know, lo and behold, these guys end up being in the ring of honor. So a little bit of egg on my face as a kid, but, you know, you don't appreciate offensive line play when you're just an eight-year-old throwing the ball in the backyard. So – I always thought that that was cool. Um, my wife has a mangled jersey. Uh, I got Brandon Marshall for Christmas that year, and she got mangled. So now I'm kind of jealous that she got mangled, and I wish I <laughs> I got the mangled, honestly. Um, but always, always good to see that these guys get, you know, the recognition they deserve. I'm glad Darrell got it, too. I think um, he deserves it, even though he left and, and, you know, won the championship and came back and whatever. I think mm-hmm. he's, the number one Jets player, like, when you just think of the Jets, if you don't think of Joe Namath, usually the old heads think of Joe Namath, but, like, somebody, like, around my age, under 30, you know, they're going to think Darrell Revis, you know, maybe Chad Pennington just for the quarterback's sake, but Darrell Revis is that first name that pops up when you think of the Jets, so it's always good to see, you know, the players that you grew up with finally get the recognition, so watching Nick, Nick Mangold get his, uh, you know, the introduction on the podcast with Mark Sanchez when Woody came in and surprised, excuse me, surprised them all. That was awesome. You know, Nick looked really uh, excited, genuinely excited. So, you know, they do stuff for the Jets community. They're still engaged. They're active. You know, I saw Nick Mangled at the Jets game, you know, outside just at a little tent wearing a Santa hat when I went uh, to the Saints game last year. So it's just always good to see these guys, you know, around the community and still involved. So, you know, just nothing
2: but but respect for those three guys. Right on, and Greenbean, your thoughts?
0: Yeah, well, uh, like Dylan said, um, I mean, how could you not love these three guys? And you know it's it's been a it's been a dry spell for us, right? Um, you know, we've had a lot of you know some bigger names come in, the Le'Veon Bell's of the world, and and kind of flame out, and then we. You know, we drafted some bigger name guys, and they don't do too well here. Our first round picks, but there was a time uh, when we when we did quite well with our uh, draft picks. You know that that Mangini and Tannenbaum duo, uh, they started out really. You know, they meant business. And it's funny, I have such a different take of that of that draft with with the Brickishaw Ferguson and uh, Nick Mangold. Now. Uh, granted, I'm a little bit older, so I'm a little, you know, I'm a little bit like, uh, you know, Hey, i you know, I'm a little more into offensive linemen. Uh, but I understand like being a kid, you know, you want a wide receiver, you want a quarterback, something fun. Mm-hmm. But at that time it was, it was interesting because we traded uh John Abraham for the second first round pick that year. And, and lots of Jets fans, even though we were all kind of mad at John Abraham at that time, we were still very mm-hmm. sad to see him go. So the fact that they got Nick Mangold for that pick is the only saving grace for that, you know, trading away such a dominant edge rusher uh, like John Abraham. But when they when Mangini came in and the first thing he did was take a left tackle and a center named Brick and Mangold, it was just a different feel, you know. It was like, okay, our new coach knows what he's doing. He's not messing around. And it was – you know, just the whole time we needed one of those guys. Missed any any time? Mangold didn't miss real and you know any real time till later in his career. And to Shaw Ferguson uh, missed one snap, and that was by design, not because of injury or anything like that. So we can kind of take that stuff for granted. You know, just how how available they were for us. They were they were stalwarts. You know, they just we knew who our left tackle and our center was. And they were among the best in the league for a decade. And it's, uh, it's great to see them honored like this. It's interesting, right? Like they got drafted together. They played for a decade together. Now they go into the ring of honor together. I think those guys are just kind of cosmically joined at the uh, figurative hip for the rest of their lives. It's just an interesting thing how that all worked out. And I, I couldn't love those guys as Jets players more than I do. And I'm, and I'm happy for them. I think it's great. Uh, I think Nick Mangold might end up being a Hall of Famer as well. I mean, he's he's got the numbers, and he had the mm-hmm. NFL respect as well. You know, but Revis is an interesting one because I mean, obviously we all love Revis. I think he, I mean, he's probably the the best cornerback that we've ever had. I don't think there's too much debate about that. I hear James Hasty, Aaron Glenn, but they're not Revis. And uh, you know, for mm-hmm. him to you know to kind of be as good as he was, that he's probably top five Jets of all time, too. So what he was able to do on the football field will probably never be replicated again. I mean, taking the best, biggest name wide receivers in the NFL and just completely shutting them down, the term Rebus Island. I mean, what what a what a fun term to have. Like, they, they visit Rebus, Rebus Island and they're never heard from again. And it's, uh, it was such a great thing. Now, obviously, at the end, we, we traded him. You know, he got injured. We traded him. He went to the Patriots, won a Super Bowl, comes back, had a good year in 2015, and then he kind of got fat and slow, and he just kind of ended his career on a little bit of a low note. But all that said, I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's seven Pro Bowls. I think it was five All-Pros, maybe, something along those lines. I forget. Um, but I think he's one of those guys where, you know, as Jets fans, we should be proud like that that we had him. Yes, he went to the Bucks and the Pats for one year each, but he's a Jet. You know, he's, he was a Jet. He started here, he ended here. And even mm-hmm. though there were those little bit of a negative wrinkles, Rebus is just, uh, you know, he's just the best man. Now, the only thing that bothers me, guys, is that I'm happy – I, I think all these guys deserve it, but we skipped over somebody uh, that was the era before that to get to these guys, and it bothers me because uh, Mo Lewis was ignored during his career as well. He was he was the rookie of the year in 1991, and he was completely ignored. He had better or com- comparable number uh, numbers to Junior Seau and, and Derek Thomas and all these legendary Hall of Famers. Mo Lewis had those numbers. And, look, if you don't want to say he's a Hall of Fame player, fine. He is. If he was on the Cowboys, he'd be in the Hall of Fame or one of those teams. But I'd like to see him at least recognized for his, by his team, which is the Ring of Honor. And he's a 13-year vet. He only missed games one year. So he was available 16 games for 12 years. He did end up making it to three Pro Bowls and two All-Pros, uh, even though they ignored him for the larger part of his career. And it just makes me sad, man. It's A lot of Jets fans, that, as, as I'm sure you know, think of Mo Lewis for one play. And it's that play where he crushed uh, Drew Bledsoe, and a six-round pick came in and ended up being the greatest quarterback of all time. But I hate seeing him blamed for that, because we would want our guy to do that 100 times out of 100. Like, if we're playing Lamar Jackson week one, and C.J. Mosley runs over there and crushes them and he leaves the game, we're going to be happy about it. You know, we're going to, be, we're going to think it was a great play. If Brett Hundley comes in and he's the greatest mm-hmm. quarterback of all time, you know what I mean? It's just the craziest thing. Uh, but anyway, I, not to demean what we're doing, I think it's a great move by the Jets to do that. I love that Woody announced it. I, I think all three of those guys are deserving, but they were a, an era after Mo Lewis. And it's just, I'd like to see that guy get some of his just uh, respect because, again, he was ignored by the NFL. Let's not ignore him as the New York Jets.
2: Yeah, great take, Wolverine. Um I, I love the fact that, that you brought him up. Um, growing up, you know, as a kid in the 90s watching this team, he was definitely one of the staples. And one of the best playmakers on our defense. And when you needed a play, Mo was usually the guy um, that would get you there. And, and I'm not 100% sure, but maybe he had something to do with the Modell's deal that they had. And, man, when he would make a play, you knew that they were going to play that little chime, got to go to Mo's. And uh, that was, that was yeah. something I remember growing up watching the games. And, uh, you know, here's a fun fact for you, too. Um, not only was he a great jet, but he also had more defensive touchdowns than the infamous Darrell Revis with four touchdowns in his career and Revis had three. Um, so just a wow. little fun, you know, tidbit that I found today when I was looking at the stats on those two guys because um, you were the one that had mentioned that. I know you just recently talked about that um, on your show and uh, definitely cool. And, you know if anyone's listening out there um you still have time to do the right thing by by mo lewis uh so great stuff there uh but but greenbean I have to ask you because um it's something that you know Dylan and I have talked about you know since you know the jets final game of 2021 um we've been talking about the off season we've been talking about uh you know where they need to make improvements and what players they should target and who they who should they you know, go for in the draft. So I'm just curious, um, how do you feel about what Joe Douglas and company has done this off season? Um, is there a specific free agent acquisition that um, really, really stands out to you? And, uh, you know, go ahead and, you know, tell us how you felt about the draft as well, because I'm sure our listeners would like to know that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, isn't it nice? Uh, you Well, I don't know if you guys know, but I get made fun of a lot from my, unabashed love for the tight end position, right? I'm a really big kind of tight end homer. I love tight ends. uh, And the Jets, sadly, haven't really put too much emphasis on the position uh, over their, you know, last 10, 15 years. Every now and then we'll bring in a guy. But overall it's been like an afterthought. So seeing Joe Douglas really, you know, just dive into the tight end position this offseason has been an absolute delight to me. It, it even surprised me. Like, I thought we were definitely going to bring one in in free agency, and I thought we'd bring one in in the draft, and then I thought we'd keep Yeboah, West Coast, some, you know, somebody like that. But when we went out there and got Uzoma, I thought that was a great move. I thought that was a good one. I did want uh, – I was kind of leaning toward Hayden Hurst, but uh, I was mm. happy with Uzoma. And uh, that, but then when he went out and signed Conklin as well, I couldn't believe it. I was like, okay, now we're going to be able to give Lafleur what he wants to do. Remember the first four or five games of the season, he was trying to shoehorn uh, twelve and twenty-two personnel, keeping two tight ends on the field, and we just didn't have the personnel to do it. Croft and Brown and Griffin, they they weren't able to do it, so we had to revert back to uh, much more eleven. So we went out there and we get these tight ends and then we still use a premium pick with a third rounder on Rucker. I just, I couldn't be happier. I think it's fantastic. I like the guys. I like the attention. And I think that we're going to see a really, uh, a really different, uh, you know, um, impact from the tight end position. Now Lakin Tomlinson was literally my number one free agent. I My first move that Ooh, I wanted nice. was, was uh now he's ended up being on the left guard, but my 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 number one position of concern was right guard, and he was my number one right guard to draft because of his familiarity with the system and the coaches i mean they coached him two years ago, so he's going to come in without missing a beat. So I, I couldn't believe that they actually finally went out there and got a guy that I wanted. You know, it's just so rare for me. I'm like, and I'm always going, okay, well, I like that guy too. They never go get the guy I want. So I was really happy with agency. I love Jordan Whitehead. I, I, I admittedly didn't know much about DJ Reed. Uh, since, since he came aboard, I obviously did a lot of digging, and, uh, and I like him. I, I like them a lot, actually, a lot more than I thought I would. But uh, I like that they that they went out there and got some vets for a very, very young uh, quarterback and defensive back room, and they didn't go out there and get, like, old men, like a Tyron uh, Matthew or anything like that. They went out there and got two 25-year-old guys. So they're vets, but they're still incredibly young, uh, maybe about to hit their prime kind of guy. So I was really happy with free agency. Um, more than I have been in, in recent years, And to follow that with that draft, man, I mean, I'll I'll admit, when we took Sauce, I wasn't psyched about it. I like Sauce Gardner as the player, but I didn't think that that was going to, like, cornerback was our priority. I really wanted that edge rusher. I wanted to make sure at four we got the number one edge rusher that we could get, and I was a little bit taken back. And then, so I said, okay, well, we're definitely going to get one at ten. It'll be Jermaine Johnson or or Karloftis or somebody. And then when we took Garrett Wilson at 10, honestly, guys, I didn't know what the hell I was watching. I didn't know what was going on. Again, I love both players, but I couldn't believe that we made it out of the first without addressing edge Rusher. And then that trade-up to 26 to get Jermaine Johnson, who slipped so much further than anybody thought he would, uh, I, then, then it all made tons of sense. I was like giddy with joy. I, I couldn't believe that we got Sauce Wilson and Jermaine Johnson in the first round. And then, guys, I've been—I was talking about it for a couple weeks before the draft. Now, I didn't think it was going to happen, but I talked about the likelihood and whether or not I would be happy if they drafted Brees Hall with their second-round pick. And I can't believe that they did it. And I was—I'm so incredibly. Happy about like their commitment to the offense. They want the offense to succeed. They got their cornerback. They got their edge rusher. But they gave Zach Wilson three tight ends. Well, at that point, two. But they gave him two tight ends. Fixed the offensive line. Got the highest drafted wide receiver since 2001, and then got the best running back in the draft. So I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, I was "This is the best draft." Now, on paper, of course, we don't know. They could all go in there and flame out. We, we know. We know this better than anybody. But as far as oh, yeah. their direction and what Joe Douglas actually did, I could not be happier. I even love Max Mitchell and obviously Ruckert. And uh, Michael Clemens I didn't know too much, but I, I did a lot on Max Mitchell. I love him as a as a prospect. So I think this draft was fantastic. I think it's the perfect, very targeted free agency Uh, to couple with this draft, you know, re-signing Berrios and some other guys from our own team, I just – I couldn't be happier. I think, um, you know, there's reason for excitement. Like you said in the beginning, you know, uh, here we go again, letting myself get happy, and I'm doing it too. I am. But I think this year (laughs) Mm -hmm. we might actually have reason to do so. You know what I mean? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really glad that you –
1: Okay, oh, yeah, go for it though.
0: I was I was going to say I'm really glad that you led with the
1: tight end position because that's something that we've been hammering for weeks on this podcast leading up to the draft, free agency, the whole thing. We were just saying like if you're going to put that many tight ends on the field, have good tight ends. Like don't don't just run Tyler Croft and Ryan Griffin and Trevon Wesco out there like actually like overhaul the position and similar to the safety position and I know they didn't do that, but I said that they needed to I would rather them overcorrect the problem rather than, you know, take a half measure to try to patchwork the problem. Because they could have, you know, re-signed Tyler Croft and, you know, brought in a middle free agent here, like maybe someone less like than Tyler Conklin, and thought, okay, we upgraded a little bit, we're good. But, like, no, they decided to go, you know, put the pedal down on the position and really revamp it. So I'm glad that you led with the tight ends there. Yeah, Yeah, well said, man. Well said. One
2: of the things... Yeah, one of the things that we've been talking about, uh, you know, for the last few months is is trying to identify the weak spots of this roster and trying to improve it as much as you can. And that's the uh, title of tonight's show is strengths and weaknesses. And I really feel that, you know, Joe Douglas and company have done a really, really good job, you know, identifying where they need to improve, and not only just, like you said, Dylan, going in with a half measure, maybe signing one player, and then hoping you can coach up some of the guys that are already in the depth charts, uh, just go, getting right after it, being aggressive, and, and going after things that were once weaknesses, and now they're starting to look more balanced and possibly as a strength. So to start this strength and weakness uh, segment here, Dylan, I'm going to go to you first, and then Greenbean, you can follow up. What position group do you feel um, has improved the most and is now a strong point on this roster?
1: Well, when you add in the wrinkle of the improvement part, I think it kind of takes away from the defensive line. But at the same time, you didn't have Carl Lawson last year. So my answer is going to be the defensive line. When you look at it Mm. on paper, the starting four looks like Carl Lawson, Quinton Williams, Sheldon Rankins, and Jermaine Johnson as of right now. Um, that's technically two new starters on the defensive line because Lawson wasn't here, and Jermaine's a rookie, obviously. So you're not no longer going to have games where Shaq Lawson is, you know, taking the majority of your outside reps, or Ronald Blair is taking your edge one reps for the last quarter of the season. So I think – defensive line as a whole um, if you want to get more specific edge position i think that is the most improved and also a strength looking at the depth chart they have eight eight edge rushers right now on the roster lawson curry huff clemens johnson zuniga martin rashad jr and bradley and i so even if they trim that number <clears throat> excuse me down to 6 still think it's a strong group uh you know jermaine johnson jacob martin they're all new. Vinnie Curry's technically new, so like this it has to be the most improved. We didn't get to see any of these guys last year in the green and white. So I have to say edge rusher or D line overall has to be the most improved in my opinion.
2: Right on. And Greenbean, your thoughts on um the the strongest position group on this roster.
0: Well, I, I gotta be honest. I was gonna go D line too, and I think Dylan uh, just nailed it with everything I said. I even think some of the bottom of the roster guys, like Bradley and I, are gonna are gonna be a little bit better than we're used to on the bottom. Uh, and I'm mm-hmm. really excited. But let's let's talk about the offensive line for a minute. I think, like, granted, we've only really added one new piece. I mean, it depends on on Beckton and all that. But let's assume. That Becton's at the ta- you know at left tackle just for, for this conversation we'll say Becton, you add Lake and Tomlinson to the left guard you got Connor McGovern or yeah, uh, yeah McGovern and then you have A V T and George Fance. that you know plugging in Lake and Tomlinson for where our line was weakest with Greg Van Roten Greg Van Roten was so bad last year that his replacement L B T didn't even make the top 200 of guards as far as, I think it was PFF. He he didn't even make the top 200 last year of, you know, quality guards or whatever it was. And he was a a market improvement over GVR. We, you know, we know Beckton got hurt because of GVR. And he was on skate the whole, you know, the whole season last year. And granted the offensive line as a whole took – some time to get the system and everything the first you know five six games of the season they looked confused and they weren't able to pick up stunts and really they weren't comfortable in their assignments so I think you know being their second year in this system this is their second year for some of these guys to be playing alongside of one another and then adding Lakin Tomlinson again he was coached by LaFleur by uh, John Benton. Like they were, Not only do they know him, he was with them two years ago. So I think yep. bringing him into that mix is, going to, is really going to allow us to see a, a more comfortable Zach Wilson, and let's add the tight ends to that. Everybody knows if you have a dual-purpose tight end, somebody who's not just like a Kyle Pitts type who can go out and receive, but you have guys like Uzoma, like Conklin, who can be a, a factor in the blocking portion before they peel off and and function as somewhat of a safety valve for the quarterback, that adds to the protection as well. And, guys, this is the other thing. Michael Carter is a pretty good, you know, back as far as protection goes, but it's one of Brees Hall's strengths as well. So as opposed to having, you know, Ty Johnson out there who was pretty much a liability in pass protection, now we got Brees Hall and Michael Carter to go with tight ends that can block on top of a revamped offensive line is becton's healthy i have no questions about his talent and then obviously Lake and tomlinson i think our offensive line could be the most improved unit on the whole team if if a couple of things just don't crumble like we're used to here yeah great takes and and obviously
2: uh the trenches is where the game is won and lost. So being that the Jets have found ways to make both of those aspects stronger uh, should definitely, you know, create a better equation to, you know, making this a winning success for the team. And uh, I agree with both both you guys. I've been going back and forth. I lean a little bit more toward the defensive line as the position group um, that has the most talent and strength. But like you just mentioned, Greenbeam, bringing back Beckton and that talent, Uh, George Fan coming off one of his best years uh, statistically, and then you add in, you know, an all-pro guy like Tomlinson, uh, we should really, really see uh, a much improved product um, from those position groups um, wholeheartedly. It's exciting. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, one of the pivotal points of, you know, I think the Jets franchise was this offseason and this draft, and and I really feel like, you know, all arrows are pointing up right now. Um, And this is going to be an odd one, because as we're being so positive and everything like that, we're going to switch, you know, our takes right here, and we're going to start looking at some of the weaknesses on this roster. So, Dylan, you can start, (laughs) and then Green Bean, you can follow up. Where are do you guys feel is our weakness as of today? And, uh, you know, obviously – how can they improve that? Dylan, your thoughts.
1: Before before I get into the weakness, I just want to say that we all overlooked the kicker position as the most improved. I think <laughs> when you go from, when you go from Matt Amendola, Alex Kessman, Eddie Pinheiro, and then you get Greg Leg. I know he's probably not a hundred percent of what he has been in his career, but I think that's a market improvement as well. So kicker needs to be an honorable mention in the, Strengths and improvements category, but
0: um, no, oh, as, yeah, far as, not lying.
1: <laughs> as far as weaknesses go, I have two. I'm going to try to counter read Green Bean's thoughts and not take his idea. And I'm going to say the safety position. I know they added Jordan Whitehead, and I think he is a penciled starter at the strong safety position. No doubt about it. Uh, I believe it was PFF. It might have been another outlook or outlet had. Uh, rankings for safeties and Jordan Whitehead actually ranked as a higher in the box safety as Jamal Adams. So I thought that was really funny. Full circle Mm. moment for Jets fans. Um, I I like the addition of Jordan Whitehead, but outside of that, everything looks really bleak. Uh, Lamarcus Joyner played like 10 snaps last year before he tore his like elbow or something. So that's not good. We basically haven't seen what he can do in this defense. Uh, your backups look like Ashton Davis and Jason Pinnock, which I've been such an Ashton Davis fan. I, I, I've been rooting for him this whole time, and it's just it's so hard when he just takes such bad angles in the run game. Uh, Jason Pinnock obviously isn't a safety by nature. He's a cornerback that has transitioned. I think he's done a good job. Ulbrich said in his press conference that he believes Pinnock has done a good job. Uh, does doing a good job lead to being a, a, a key backup in the defense? I'm not sure. And then after that, you have, like, Will Parks, Elijah Riley, and then a bunch of, like, small guys like Javante Moffitt, Kia Nakua, and Tony Adams, who's the UDFA. So outside of Whitehead, it really does look like a lot left to be desired at the safety position. And I've said it before. I even tweeted it. I think safety is a str- uh, more important position in this defense and cornerback like I think the middle of the defense is so important defensive tackle middle linebackers and safeties are so important to this defense that having Jordan Whitehead and not really like a good reliable free safety over the top I know Joiner like can be if he's healthy but that's so up in the air that safety just is such a question mark to me that it could be good but I don't even see a path where this safety group is looked at as, like, top tier, even top half of the league, even if Jordan Whitehead does do what I think he can do. So safety is my, my weak point that needs a little bit of upgrading. Um, I'm not exactly sure how they can even upgrade it at this point. There aren't many good names left on the free agent market. So they basically have to rely on uh, Marquel Marquand, Martel Marquand, or whatever his name is, the safetys coach. They need to rely on him a lot. He did a lot last year. Same with the the quarterback's coach, Tony Oden. They're going to have to rely on those two guys a lot again. So, safety is my position. What do you got, Green Bean?
0: Uh, well, I thank you for leaving linebacker on the table for me. I had a feeling <laughs> you were going to – <laughs> uh, well, you know, and uh, and I agree. And th- that wasn't that fun to see uh, Jordan Whitehead just, you know, slid in there right before Jamal Adams. The way I look at that mm-hmm. is it's the beginning of the end of this stuff. It- it's the beginning of the Jets actually getting some accolades and these guys mm-hmm. that we let go, you know. Right, like, and, and look, I think it's important to mention today. I, I almost forgot. Today is the three-year anniversary of us hiring Joe Douglas. So when we look yeah. at, you know, we, you know, like where we came from, what the team was at that point to what it is now, it's just so nice to see this kind of changing of the guard. Guys like Le'Veon Bell and Sam Darnold and and uh, and Jamal Adams. It's nice to see, you know, who we who we're kind of leaning towards as our pillars, and Jordan Whitehead can really be that. So I'm excited about him, man. And Pinnock, you know, we'll see how he does. Uh, They they seem to like him, but it's nice to see him carve out a role because I didn't love him as a cornerback, if I'm being honest. Um, So it'll be nice. But the linebackers are interesting to me because I was convinced that within the first four picks in the draft, now this is when we had – you know, 4, 10, 35, and 38. I was convinced that one of them would be a linebacker. If not, then the third-round pick was 100% going to be a linebacker. And this is, you know, it's one of those things that kind of uh, made the Brees Hall pick so surprising because Nicobe Dean slid. He was there. So I thought that that would be the way that they would more yeah. than likely go. When this, When they traded up from 38 to 36, I just – I was like, okay, this is definitely McCoby Dean because he's not supposed to be here, so they want to ensure that they'll grab him, and they grabbed the running back, which was obviously a positive. I love it. I really do, but I'm surprised that they left free agency and the draft without any linebacker help. Now, we did sign uh, Marcel Harris, who's, you know, he's one of those sala guys, you know, that 215, 220-pound safety linebacker hybrid type and it seems like they really want to give Sherwood and Dean and even Quincy Williams the shot to, to prove themselves. I mean, I think it's risky. I really do. And I was hoping that they gave C.J. Mosley that snarling animal to, to play next to. That's what I wanted really, really bad. Um, but, you know, look – I can't be unhappy with all the places that they have addressed, and some some positions are going to get left behind a little bit, but I don't think it's necessarily left behind in their mind. I think, again, Sala really believes in Sherwood. He talked him up numerous times last year, so he's coming back from that Achilles. Uh, Nasruddin's another one switching from safety to uh to linebackers. So I think we're gonna see a lot more two linebacker sets with extra defensive backs on the field, which is I think will probably be like Sauce, Reed, Hall and Carter, as opposed to more safeties. And I and I think we're gonna see that. So if that's the case and we're using two linebackers, uh, more than depending on three, I think that it it could be the position that's more comfortable to leave behind this year and see what you got with the other guys. But if I'm being really honest, that's the position I'm most nervous about. I just, you know, remember last year, we could not stop a screen or any tight ends or running back for our life. We just could not cover them. And Quincy Wilson was, or uh, Williams, sorry, Quincy Williams was on the field and he was getting, uh, he was getting torched uh, quite often for all of his, uh, you know, his highlight plays, you know, coming out, shooting around like a missile and laying Derek Henry out and all those kinds of things. For all that, there's an equal part of him getting burned. And uh, I really wanted to see us address that. So that's the position I think I'm most nervous about is the linebackers. And I'm really curious to see how they you no, know, Number one, how these players progress, but number two, how they utilize their personnel packages because again, If it's a weakness, I'd like to see them be able to mask it a little bit. Uh, So, yeah, I'd say the linebackers for me. You know, Greenbean, that's interesting because that's where
2: I went with this too. Uh, I'm not going to lie, Dylan, I was looking at the safety position group, and that was my second choice because just not familiar um, with Whitehead, you know, having seen him play every Sunday like I have other safeties on this roster. Uh, I'm curious about the LaMarcus Joyner. Uh, situation because the Jets spoke very highly of him last year. So, you know, that w- that to me um, is a little bit unknown too. But like you said, Green Bean, if anything were to happen to C.J. Mosley and you look at the rest of the depth in that position group, uh, not a lot excites me here. So, you know, a lot of the success of this defense and at the second level of this defense is going to, you know, he revolved around CJ Mosley and how well he plays, and he played phenomenal last year. Um, he came in in great shape, and you know, he uh, brought his weight down a little bit, and it clearly, um, you know, showed all of his capabilities. But outside of him and Quincy Williams, nobody else at the linebacker position was really, really standing out as much as those two. And as great as Quincy Williams is against the run. I really would not want to see him in the number one role and being as our coverage linebacker. I just think that that is one of his weaknesses. And, uh, yeah, this is going to be – or a lot's going to fall upon the coaches and how they can coach up the guys underneath Mosley to keep that whole group balanced. So I definitely agree with that take about the linebacker position giving me, um, you know, the most nervous – feelings about the, the roster as a whole. Um, but I'm looking at the clock here, gentlemen, and, and we're just about an hour into it. Green Bean, I know that you've got uh, something going on in around 8 o'clock, so I don't want to hold you up too much so you can prepare for that. I do like to say, you know, thank you again for making the time to come on and join Dylan and I for this week and, and talk some Jets ball. And uh, I'd just like to, you know, throw the mic back to you. Um, so that you can just, you know, tell our listeners where they can find your content and where to follow you, and, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, plug yourself.
0: Yeah, well, thank you, man. You know, look, you guys know I sincerely, uh, you know, dig both of your guys' points. I I love the show. I I think you guys are fantastic. So I really do appreciate you having me on. Anytime you guys ask me, I'm always excited to come back on, so thank you. Uh, Tonight, uh, if anybody's – Getting their appetites wet, you know, with this show, and you're looking for more. Every Tuesday night, I go over to Jets Talk 24/7 uh, YouTube page, and we do the Talking Jets panel with Matt O'Leary, Ryan, and myself, and we do that for two hours. And then after that tonight, I go back to my channel, which is Green Bean Jets Fan on YouTube, and we do the After Hours Jets Fest at 10, from 10:30 to midnight. So we got a lot, lots wow. of Jet Talk today, man, but. But, yeah, you can always find me at Green Bean Jets Fan on YouTube and GreenBeanJetsFan.com. And, as always, uh, I just gave Jet Nation uh, their, you know, a, a video for this week, and I do weekly vids over there at JetNation.com and on the forums and such. So, yeah, man, this is, uh, this is great. We're having a fantastic offseason, guys. That's my thought, and I think, it's gonna, I think we're going to have some fun this season. It's all going to start when we beat Baltimore. So thanks for having me on. Oh,
2: love it.
1: Absolutely.
0: Love
2: the takes, man. Go get some coffee. you got a long night ahead of you. Everybody, you heard where to find the man. Don't hesitate and go get yourself a, your daily dose of Green Bean and his awesomeness with Jet Nation and his YouTube channel. Again, thank you so much. We really appreciate the time tonight, Green Bean.
0: All right, guys. Have a great night. Thanks again. Uh, Take care. Be well.
2: All right, Dylan. Uh, Well, that was a really, really good show. I had a lot of fun. Um, You guys both killed it tonight. Um, Takes were really, really good. Uh, You know, love, you know, the different ideas you guys have and the insight that you guys bring. Um, You know, I just feel that uh, both of you guys bring a little something to the table, and that's why I love talking ball with you guys. But, uh, Dylan, I think – Now's a good time to close out the show, so you know, if you have any uh, parting thoughts or anything that you want to touch upon, um, the floor is yours, because I'm going to go get ready to go watch the Rangers, and hopefully we take it down tonight, and uh, that means we're coming back home for Thursday, we're closing it out to go to the Stanley Cup, um, I, don't, I, I don't have uh, much blue here, but I got to go find something blue to throw on, but uh, <laughs> any last thoughts for the night there, Dylan?
1: Yeah, this, this is a great show. I love when we have Green Bean on. He always pumps me up with a little bit of confidence when I, when I give my takes, so I always appreciate him. Um, yeah, just a, a little special announcement before we go. Teasing next week so that everybody stays tuned. Um, we're having another special guest. This will be our third special guest in a row for the month of June. We're starting it off hot for the summer, and we're going to have mm-hmm. former Jets special teams coach Mike Westoff on the show next week. He's going to call in. He's going to uh, talk about, you know, the current state of the Jets. He's also, we're going to, you know, ask him questions about his time with the Jets as well as the Saints and other spots in the NFL because let's face it, this guy's a legend. Um, I had to do a lot of research because, you know, I'm a younger guy, so he was on the, the upswing of me becoming a Jets fan with his latter years in the in the league, so I had to do my research, but, man, this guy is uh, hes legendary, to say the least. So I'm excited. I was able to confirm the show with him, and, uh, yeah, we're going to have him on next week, and I can't wait.
2: Great work, Dylan. Uh, really, really excited that you were able to make that connection uh, and bring one of my favorite coaches, uh, you know, two-hour show. I'm probably going to be extremely nervous for that one. Uh, but, I have a week to prepare for it, so this is good mm-hmm. and uh, you know, like I said, not a lot of people talk about special team coaches or special teams in general um, it's one of the most critical aspects of the the of the football team you know you got your three different levels uh, with offense defense and special teams, and you know you don't normally hear about special teams unless if they're making mistakes, and that was one thing that i don 't recall happening a lot when Mike Westoff uh, was in. Was on our sideline. And as far as intensity and finding the right talent, I mean, he really, really made, uh, that aspect of the game very, very exciting. And he's got a little bit of a, a hard-nosed old school mentality, which I love too. And, uh, yeah, just really, really, really excited. Um, can't wait till next Tuesday. As Dylan just broke it, uh, Mike Westoff will be joining us, uh, next Tuesday, 6.30 p.m. Jet Nation Radio. So, do not forget, make a make a note on your phone, set the reminder, put this on your calendar. Uh, it's going to be a great show. I'm super super excited, and uh, for everyone else, uh, please don't hesitate to go to Jet Nation uh, and check out our website. You can download the app. Uh, the forums are absolutely insane. Uh, we get some of the you know biggest hits out of all the NFL forums in the league and uh just nonstop with the articles and the YouTube videos with Glenn and Greenbean and I know Dylan you're writing up articles too and uh you know then we add this show to it and uh really, really awesome stuff. Uh we're turning it up. Uh you know, we're about to take flight as we go into the summer and heating it up as Dylan had said. So do not forget to tune in next week, six thirty PM for Jet Nation Radio. Uh this is your host. Alex Rallo signing off for Dylan Tellerman. Everyone have a great week, and as always, let's go Jets!
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24.
1: Until next time,
0: go Jets!